This episode of The Swell Pod is brought to you in partnership with Kiln. Kiln provides flex office space for teams and individuals. Their all-inclusive set of amenities helps startups, creatives, and entrepreneurs alike get work done. Learn more about Kiln at kiln.co. So this is the Swell Podcast. This is. is Hi, Josh. Hey, Spencer. Welcome back. We took a break from the Swell Pod just for a few months while we were interviewing lots of interesting guests and we're looking forward to Mackenzie today. Yeah, absolutely. We're super stoked to have Mackenzie here and um, we'll get to your bio in just a second, but just for everybody that's tuning in and everybody that's here in the audience, we'll kind of give you guys an idea of what the Swell Podcast Mm -hmm. is. Um, It was kind of started off of the idea that we're really interested in what it takes to create something that never existed before, uh, what it takes to challenge the status quo, and what it takes to change the world. And so we like to talk to people like Mackenzie and various other people around Utah, even actually around the world, um, just around various ideas that they brought to market, whether it's a startup, whether it's an NFT, um, you know, various different things. And we like to see what we can learn from them, get their stories. And um, yeah, we just try to have really human conversations. Um, No real agenda other than kind of dance around those three questions. So yeah. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. Cool. Yeah. Anything else to add? That's it. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get started to um, introducing Mackenzie. So I'm going to read out what it says. Um, But in 2015, Mackenzie and her husband, Colby, uh, founded ThreadWallet. They found an irreplaceable sense of freedom and happiness as they saw the vision unfold and come to life. Mackenzie loves coming up with uh, creative ideas um, and creative ways to create and market long-lasting brands. She believes in the power of surrounding herself with smart and talented people and loves helping others achieve success for themselves and feels passionate about helping them find the same freedom, entrepreneurial, creative pursuits in their own lives. And apparently, when Mackenzie isn't <laughs> working, which is probably a lot of the time, uh, she loves uh, eating great food. Yeah. We were just talking about that before Except we started. Not when I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mackenzie's expecting. Uh, and uh, also uh, working out, uh, cooking, traveling, and spending time with her two beautiful daughters. Yeah, also and... not when I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> All those things. <laughs> well, welcome to uh, the Swell Pod. We appreciate you oh, coming along Oh, I'm so excited today. to be here. Thank you. Yeah, and I know that uh, you've got a busy life, busy business, yeah. and, a, and, a, and a growing family, so yeah. we appreciate it. Um, yeah, so I think our story, I mean, we love your origin story. We're going to talk about that and, and get you to maybe go through that with, with us, but um, we know... Um, we just love your product. In fact, a long time ago, Thank without you. saying the company that we were working with, um, you sent us some, you were very kind, sent us lots of threaded wallets. Oh, that's awesome. And they went to India to some of the okay. events and New York and London. Uh, and people actually loved it. This is back in 2017 or 18, that's I so think. so cool. Yeah, and, and, and we could tell back then just the people's responses, like this is yeah. something really different. Um, and we love the story, like how, how you started and you, you worked with a sewing machine, et cetera. I'm going to just to throw a random question in there around what you made when you were younger, any of us, including you, Josh, anything you made, uh, it doesn't have to be with a sewing machine, but like something early days, what, 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 what comes to your mind? I, my mom got me a hat loom. <laughs> so it was like you wrap yarn around it and I would knit hats. That's something oh, really? I would make. Yeah. How old were you then? Oh, I don't know. Probably like 10, 10 nice. 12. Yeah. So the, so the early knitting of hats. Yes. You still got them? <laughs> Maybe in like a dress up box <laughs> for like my girls dolls somewhere. Nice. How about you, Josh? Early well, thing. so funny enough, I actually did the same thing. Really? What? So yeah, like in high school. So I mean, I'm wearing a beanie right now. I would, I, I was a big snowboarder. I love to wear beanies. You weren't supposed to wear beanies at school. And I was like, I don't care. But they would take your beanie if you ever, if you ever yeah. wore it to school mm-hmm. and be like, you know, you have to turn that in. And so I would just keep making new beanies, you know. <laughs> and, That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Um, but yeah, I don't do it as much anymore. But yeah, yeah. I okay, I did knit one thing, Prince Charles and Lady Diana. Do you remember? Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> I've still got it. It's 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 kind of this shaped scarf, and it it says uh-huh. like their names on it and oh my royal gosh. blue. I think it's uh, that's cool. I've never worn it though. I think I remember making a lot of costumes, like um, taking denim 
denim jeans and turning it into denim jackets. Yeah, so, okay, so cool. So kind of chopping them up and making it. Yeah, that's fun. Again, probably Repurposing. Didn't, probably didn't fit me or anything, but it was fun to use a sewing yeah. machine. So let's get to the origin story. Where, where do you want to start? Well, so I think, you know, just as if we can provide just a little bit of context, thinking about even going back to your mission um, of, of carry on, right? Yeah. I mean, for us, uh, and we're at Kiln, you know, we're surrounded by a lot of startups, a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, just those two words of carry on, I think, carry, you know, a lot of meaning here, right? Yeah. Um, people trying to bring ideas to life and carrying on through, you know, the best of times and the worst of times. Yeah. and. And, and so I think what we're going to try to do throughout the rest of the session is try to understand your story, you know, find out how, how you personally carried on, you know, from the beginning in the origin story all the way up to where you're at yeah. now and, and some of the cool. ups and downs through that. So, yeah, if we just start with kind of the origin story, um, you know, I know we're really fascinated about it because we mentioned right before we started recording that, you know, um, if you go back and look at the Kickstarter from 2015, it's the same. It's still there, and it's still present from 2015 all the way to yeah. now. And it's it, to me, it seems like it's really important to who you are as a company, and it, it's really kind of just been embedded in your DNA. So maybe yeah. you could just kind of give people. Well, this is cool to look at because we didn't establish the slogan "Carry On" until like a year and a half ago, two years ago. Yeah. And so it's cool to go back and look at it with through that lens. Mm-hmm. Um. So my husband and I started a company together back in 2015 called Thread Wallets. We most of the time refer to it just now as Thread. Um, And it all came about because my husband, who was a stranger at the time, lost his wallet to the ocean. And he got back on dry land and realized that it was gone. And so he had to do all the replacing of cards, getting a new driver's license, all of that stuff. And then he also needed a new wallet. So he went to Google, like, men's wallets, and all he saw was just, like, this sea of black, brown, boring bifolds. Like, if any of you have watched Seinfeld, like, the George Costanza thick wallet. And he's like, all I carry around with me is my student ID, my driver's license, and my credit card. Like, I don't need anything else. So he was at the grocery store simultaneously around that same time and found the rubber band that holds the clumps of broccoli together. So he started using that as his wallet, and he was like, this is great. This is, this works perfectly. So that was before I met him. That was probably like November, December of 2013, and then I met him in 2014, and he had been in a class at um, college talking about how to get a product launched successfully on Kickstarter in like 24 hours. So he was spending a lot of time on Kickstarter as well at that time, and he noticed that there were tons of wallets, minimalist, slim, like elastic wallets doing really well. They'd raised like $200,000, $400,000, crazy amounts of money. And he was like, okay, so I, this is a need of mine, and there's obviously a large group of people out there who also have this same need, but what's missing from all these wallets that I'm seeing is expression. And he's always been really entrepreneurial and has always admired companies like Stamp Socks, School Candy Headphones, Neff Headwear, brands that have taken like a really simple product and then built a lifestyle company around it and just brought expression and um, design to something that had otherwise been pretty boring and untouched. So he's like, maybe there's room to do this with wallets. So we had just started dating and he had this idea and I remember just being so enamored with him and he came to pick me up at one, at one point one night and he had this white elastic that he'd printed the poop emoji all over. Mm-hmm. He'd walked into a local company called Beloved and they did like the sublimation, like pepperoni shirts, gummy mm-hmm. bear shirts, all that stuff. So he walked into their warehouse and was like, would you guys mind if I print on this elastic to see what happens? And they're like, sure, go for it. So they grabbed the poop emoji, slapped it on there, and it worked. The elastic took the design really well, and it stayed on and didn't fade off and didn't wash. It's a process called sublimation. And Colby was like, this is awesome. Like, this elastic can serve the same functionality as the rubber band that I'm using on my wallet, but I can add a lot more creativity to to it. So... We had started dating, and he always jokes that he was using me for my sewing machine because that's, like, one of the first conversations we had. He asked me if I had a sewing machine, and I was like, yeah. 
you're really cute. Come hang out with me in my bedroom. So he came over to my house and we would just like sew all these wallets in upstairs in my bedroom. I was not a good seamstress, but I could do like a straight line easily. And so we did. And then I started using them, um, the wallets, and we did that Kickstarter campaign in 2015. well, that was a year later, but in 2014, we threw together like a really, really cheesy one he did, which was for that class that he'd mm-hmm. been taking. And it was terrible, but it got enough money like from friends and family that we were able to buy the machines and stuff. So we made the summer before we got married. So this is the summer of 2014. We made like a thousand wallets, I think, and we took them out to Hawaii with us where we were going to be living at the time for my husband to be finishing up school. And they sat in boxes in the corner of our apartment for like three months. Mm. And then December, end of November, December came around and we were like, we're leaving to go home for the holidays and to move back to Provo. We need to sell these. So we were like, okay, let's start just get handing them out at farmer's markets basically so we took them to farmer's markets and they started selling like hotcakes like Mm. everybody wanted one the designs were fun we sold them at a really discounted rate if they'd follow us on social media so we started gaining a little bit of a following and so we were kind of like maybe there's something to this idea like it had kind of just been like a fun side like teaching experience for both Mm. of us but we graduated, both had graduated, and we're moving back, and we were like, what are we going to do with our lives? Like, we're newlyweds. My husband had some offers to play professional soccer. His dad's a financial planner. My dad's a financial planner, so there was an easy end with financial planning. And, you know, we had some other opportunities, but both of us at the time were like, we have no responsibility to, like, anybody right now. We don't have kids. We don't have a mortgage. We don't have a car payment. Like, if there's any time for us to try something, it's right now. Yeah. So this was in January of 2015, and that's when we were like, okay, let's get an LLC established. Like, let's get serious about this and see if we can create something out of it, which is, again, looking through the lens of carry on is so interesting because it is this kind of at the time, and I still even think this, I'm like, how did we get to where we are off of like a silly rubber, uh, like, from a rubber band to an elastic sleeve that you can stick your cards in. But we did. We just put our, you know, feet to the pavement and we put together another Kickstarter, which is the Kickstarter that you saw in 2015. Mm. And we raised $35,000 on Kickstarter. And then we launched our website in um, like end of May, beginning of June of 2015. And we did, I want to say like $16,000 within the first couple of days. And then by the end of that first year, and it really was just Colby and I, for the most part, with the help of family and friends when we needed help shipping or whatever. But we'd done, we did around like $140,000 that first year. And we were like, this is insane. Because we'd crunched numbers when we lived in that tiny apartment in Hawaii. And we were like, if we can sell like 10 wallets a day, then we can make $50,000, $60,000 a year, which is enough for us right now. Like, that would be great. And so getting to the end of the year and being like, how did we make $140,000 this year? And that was enough validation to be like, okay, let's keep going. So we did. And now here we are seven years later, still going with like 50 something employees. And it's crazy. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Can I just touch on something? Cause I saw on your website, I think there's the line around probably the SMS subscription. It's like, uh, being friends but with benefits yeah that was a really funny i think connection and when you talk about you know when he found out that you were you had a sewing machine it's like yeah, yeah come hang out in my bedroom yeah. oh that's we'll funny i've never benefits. put that together yeah. that is funny <laughs> but also can i also make one other connection yeah, too yeah. with the poop emoji on the one that you tested the printing out too yeah like i'm gonna go off on a tangent for a second but have you ever seen breaking bad no, but my husband loves Breaking okay. Bad. So there's the moment in Breaking Bad. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not ruining it too much, but there's the moment when, you know, the the DEA agent finds out who Walter White really is, yeah. that he's this big meth drug dealer, and he finds out when he's sitting on the toilet. Oh, my god. So gosh. there's some sort of correlation, I think, to, like, <laughs> you know, toilet or to, so to just yeah. great ideas, you know, yeah. or finding something great that ideas. works. But, yeah, anyway. I know you had a question about, about the origin story and the problem, but uh, yeah, but I, Go ahead. I told my daughter this morning she's nine, just turned nine. 
said, uh, oh, I'm interviewing Mackenzie today, you know, about Fred Wallet. She loves them. And uh, I said, I just told her enough about that origin story. I said, oh, you know, when they got married, they didn't make babies. They made wallets. What? Yeah. She, she laughed. She, she saw the funny so side. Funny. She couldn't stop laughing. She got out of the car laughing. That school. is that is funny. Um, yeah, we did. We made wallets. <laughs> Lots of wallets. One by one. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's interesting, though, is like, um, again, I think there's so many elements of, I think, carrying on. And, and I think we'll maybe can bra- uh, branch into the self-expression part of this because I think yeah. that that's so fascinating. Because when you, when I, at least when I hear about carry on, you know, it's more than carrying on with your wallet and all of your things, yeah. but it is, I think to your brand, it's carrying on with all that self-expression yeah. and being yourself and, and putting yourself out there. Um, and so I guess, yeah, like I, I'm just interested, I guess, when we think about that origin story mm-hmm. and we think about, it just seems like all of these elements were so clear at the very beginning and how much of that, like, you know, is, is that just, I mean, it, it has to come from you and, and, and your husband as well as the founders, but has it been yeah. difficult to kind of keep intact as mm-hmm. you moved on from the origin, you know, and, yeah. and having that, all that there. And then as you continue to build over the course of the, the, the following years. Yeah, that's interesting. I, so we established our slogan for Thread as carry on about two and a half years right. ago. And from the get-go, we've seen a vision of Thread wallets becoming more than just wallets at some point. And over the past couple of years, that's kind of unraveled. Like we've launched crossbody bags and totes and we have phone cases and lanyards and chapstick holders. And there's just a variety of different products, accessories on our site. But what we wanted to do is be the... Um, probably before we established the slogan as carry on our goal has been to become the go-to brand for all things carry so leaving the space open for backpacks and duffel bags and laptop cases and um all of those products so when we like we're thinking okay we need like a brand mantra or slogan it just made sense because carry on speaks to the product itself it helps carry your goods but then it also helps speak or speaks to the um, mindset of progression and forward movement and yes, yeah, self-expression and um, picking yourself up after you've fallen down. We really try to focus our um, demographics on like surf, skate, snow, kind of the outdoorsy lifestyle. And so that carry on narrative is so important and it has been in our position as well. I think we are really lucky, like we had the support of family and friends from early on. Um, I think some of them, especially my dad, were skeptical about things, but we've been able to be profitable since day one. There's a lot of things that are have just been really easy for us, which I don't want to say that that's like because of what we've done is like the nature of our product. It's an inexpensive product, has good margin. Mm-hmm. We got in, we got really lucky when we, when we launched. Instagram wasn't as saturated. So I almost feel like... I, it has been hard, like working with your spouse, hardships, like trying to scale from a hundred thousand to a million. It's hard and it takes a lot of work and you're up early and you're out late, you're up late, um, working on stuff. You are trying to hustle as hard as you can. So that carry on narrative has definitely like carried us through even without having the name for it. But I do feel really lucky because I think I hear a lot of other trials that people face, like women trying to raise fun, funding and capital for their businesses. Like they, I think their carry on mindset is probably, um, I'm not trying to discredit the work that we've done, but we've been really lucky. Um, I think the carry on narratives probably applied more to our personal lives than it has our um, professional lives with dealing with working together and my husband's um, family has some addiction and substance abuse issues and um, we've both struggled with some mental health things. So I think the carry on narrative probably means more to us personally than it does even in our professional timeline. Yeah. Um, I just have one other question, I yeah. guess, to relating to that, right? Because it is interesting, like hearing your, the, the business story as it yeah. progresses with, with your personal story and that everything kind of lines up with, you know, as you're getting married and then, you know, you have two children right now and yeah. a third is on the way. And so, yeah, I guess, um, you know, there, there's the personal meaning to, to carry on for you guys. And I'm just wondering like, you know, what, what have been some of the, some of the, the best, I guess, ups and downs of, 
you know, building this business while you're also trying to foster and, and keep this, this relationship mm -hmm. going as well. And I'm, I'm, I, it seems like a very, yeah. like these two things are so tied together that, yeah. 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 Our, like a lot of people will say, don't get into business with your, like a family member or a really good friend because mm -hmm. it can like be so detrimental to that relationship. And I, we've loved working together. It's been so great, but there have been a lot of hard moments and especially adding the stresses that come with um, like substance abuse and divorce issues and all these other things that come on top of it. Um, I'm kind of like losing track of what I was going to say. That's Give okay. me a sec. Um, Reword your question. Yeah, it was just so, um, you know, as you're building this business and you're and you're also kind of building this new this yes, this, this life yeah. for for you and your and your family, oh, right? Yes, it's like, I remember what I was gonna say. Yeah, okay. Um, it's been hard because it's been intertwined so deeply since day one. Yeah. Like when we first got to know each other. So actually, probably like the hardest, like lowest lows have probably been within the last year or so mm. because I've stepped away from the business more. I stepped down as CMO. And my husband is still in it full time and he's starting, we're starting a nonprofit called the Carry On Foundation, which is going to help youth, particularly youth um, with like mental health challenges and finding community and um, just life lessons and life skills through board sports. So mm. we're going to be opening up an indoor skate park here and there's a lot of cool things, but my husband's still so inner ingrained in the company and then this other thing and sometimes I feel like I'm just at home with the kids now and mm. something that I care so deeply about our business I don't feel like I have as much of a pulse on it anymore and so I think that that's probably been the hardest because something that has been such a like formative part of our relationship is the our both of our relationships with it has changed mm. over the past year or so because we've added more employees colby's got more responsibility i've stepped back so i have less responsibility i don't know as much of what's going on compared to the early days when it was just him and i we both knew everything that was going right. on and we talked about everything we made decisions together and so now there's been a shift in how that how all those things play out now and that has been like particularly hard for me so i think that that would probably be like one of the lowest lows and there's been lows in terms of disagreements that we've had about product launches or designs or certain hires but we've been able to work through the majority of those but probably the past year has been the hardest but you also spoke to like the wins because i think that you know when you have when you're in those lows focusing on the wins and the the peaks and the valleys you've got to have perspective on both um, in order to carry on, um, we, I think probably the high, like the thing that brings me the most joy in our company is our team. Mm. Like bringing, when we started building out a team, I think that meant the most for me because it, it made it more than it's, it made it feel so much more real. Like this is happening and it's affecting the lives of so many others outside of ourselves now. And we have people to share the responsibilities with, the joys with, the vision with, and having a team that is on board with what you're building is really, really fulfilling. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I, I, I love that. And I, I would like to ask maybe more about, I think, this moment that you're kind of going been going through over the last year, but maybe we can get to that a little bit later. I don't know. But do you want to talk about... Um, It'd be interesting to know about, I guess, within the last year, though, right? Yeah. So that you've like, so you've experienced that personally, and then also, I'm sure, as we kind of talked about before the podcast, the industry has also shifted pretty yeah. massively when you think about yeah. e-commerce and COVID, but also some of the stuff that's happening now. So I'd just love to get, you know, I, I would, I would imagine, like there was kind of a this. It seemed like you guys had pretty healthy growth, I guess, right? Yeah. Over a, yeah. over an extended period of time, and then, yeah. you know, COVID hit, and I'm wondering like how that. Like what happened over the course yeah. of the last two years and within the industry and your, within your business? So we've actually, COVID was, I, we feel really fortunate. COVID was like a huge blessing for our business. We had, it was crazy because we started out the year in like February. We were like, this is going to be our year of wholesale. Like we're going to grow mm -hmm. so much, expand like into new stores and then March came and everything shut down and we had no wholesale orders for like 
three months until things kind of started opening back up. So during those months, we were kind of like, what is going to happen? But because everyone was at home, everyone was just online shopping. And because of, like, the government, the money, like, a lot of people had Mm -hmm. extra money to be spending at that time. And our price point is really low. So COVID was, like, phenomenal for us. And we had... What we what we were blessed with is that because um, our wholesalers didn't buy, we had a ton of inventory. So we were like locked and loaded for the rest of the year, whereas a lot of businesses were running into supply chain issues in 2020. Mm. And we had enough inventory. We were pretty great with inventory, and it made up for what we lost with wholesale because online didn't took off for us in 2020. But now those supply chain issues have caught up with us. We have stuff stuck on boats. We have stuff stuck in different cities all over America. And um, we've had factories that have had to shut down again in Vietnam. It's been crazy. So 2021 was harder. 2020 was great. And we're like, this is crazy. But it was an anomaly of a year. Like, you almost can't compare your numbers to in a lot of businesses because it was so crazy for everyone. But then 2021 happened, and we were like, okay, we've got some good momentum. This is great. And then um, Apple changed their privacy with iOS. So we can't track people now with Facebook ads. So that has – we have tried so hard to diversify. So we have – where we started out, we were D2C direct to consumer online. We didn't sell really anywhere else, maybe a few boutiques here in the Valley in Utah. But – we really focused our efforts online and that was great for when we started our cost per acquisition was like probably six dollars so really great and now it's probably like 25 plus so because you just can't it's so hard to track and it's so much harder to target people because of these changes that um apple made Um, so this past 2021 was, we still like hit some of our revenue goals. Things were really good. All of our, um, like channels. So we have online, which is our Amazon and our, um, website. And then we have wholesale, which is like, if you go to a surf skate shop and you see our product in there and then we have our owned retail, which we have five kiosks and retail locations, which is like owned channel. And then we have a custom division. So we get custom orders from like Chick-fil-A and Google and Qualtrics and all these companies around the Valley and, uh, and beyond. So all of those channels like exceeded expectations last year, exceeded our projections except for online because it was so it's getting so competitive. And the other thing that COVID did is it brought out a lot of entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. people who got laid off from their jobs or were at home a lot. They were finally like, OK, I have the time to start the thing that I want to have been wanting to start. So you had this influx of people trying to run ads on Facebook, which Facebook is like a marketplace, like bidding, you bid for things. And so it's an auction. So if you don't have the margin to bid a lot, then you're kind of screwed, which our um, AOV is like $32. And our we have good margins, but with a low AOV, it's really hard to compete with people who have a large AOV on on, and can have all that ad spend on Facebook. So this past year has been like more difficult, but that just proves, I think, something that I tell a lot of people, like if they're asking about starting a business or how do I get traction on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, it's, you can, like in today's day and age, you can't afford to put all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. Like, and we did when we started out and I'm so grateful we chose to diversify starting in like 2018. Amazon has done really well for us. Um, It's kind of a necessary evil. Our wholesale is killing it now that stores have opened up again. We're probably in about like 2,000 wholesale locations across the United States. And our kiosks are doing really well. So the lesson, I think, of the past few years, the past couple years, 2020 and 2021, was like diversification Mm. and making sure that all – all ships rise when there's success mm. across the board. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting. And did you have a question? Well, how about the UK? We it, haven't gone have into the UK. <laughs> we want so we want to expand internationally, but the goal is Canada first, and then Australia. The UK the is hard. <laughs> like over your yeah, Europe yeah. and the UK. There's so many different. Yeah. 
like regulations and loopholes and things that you have to go through. We'll get there. Well, um, yeah, I think, you know, going back to, you know, so your business is going through a a pretty transformational moment, you know, over the last couple of years, and you were kind of going through a transformational moment as well. A lot of founders are kind of coming out saying, you know, I'm really interested in doing this. And and I know before this, you mentioned that you were really passionate about, um, I I have a couple of things that I'm interested in, I guess, based off of kind of some of the stuff you just said is, you know, you mentioned a lot of, uh, like Stan socks and other companies, right. And I'm interested in, um, you know, um, first of all, I guess, how supportive kind of have, have you and your company felt in, in relationship to Silicon Slopes and all the, mm. all the growth as it relates to entrepreneurs and other groups of people that are kind of yeah. carrying on, you know, yeah. doing, you know, at the same time. I don't know. I'm interested in that. We have been so fortunate to start our company here in Utah. Like, I don't think we could have done it anywhere else. I, our positioning were based in Provo was wonderful because we were right smack dab in between BYU and University of or Utah Valley University. So we had all of these college students at our disposal, which is our demographic. So when we were first starting out, we'd go stand on like BYU campus and just hand out product and use local influencers who were at these universities to post about us. That's when influencer marketing was a lot cheaper too. And you'd see better results because it was so new um, so we were really fortunate that way. And then a lot of the students came from different regions. So it was interesting to see around like Christmas time or summer, you'd start seeing like little bubbles pop up around the United States. And our assumption is that it was some of these students going home and their friends find out about it. And then they, their friends would find out about it. So kind of just spread really quickly. And I think because of that, and then also I, can't speak to anybody else's experience, but we have loved um, and been very grateful for all the connections we've made here. There's a lot of tech, and I think sometimes tech tends to get more of the, like, accolades Mm -hmm. and attention, but there are some really amazing direct-to-consumer product-focused companies coming out of Utah as well. Um, Traeger Grills, Freshly Picked, you've got um, the... What is Owala? They have the water bottles and they're the, I can't remember what their like family of brands named is, but Mission Belt. There's like so many brands that have come out of Utah and every one of them, any person that we've ever reached out to has been very kind and generous with their feedback and thoughts and time, whether it's meeting or going to lunch or a quick 10 minute call Um, people have been very generous and I think the lesson there has just been to ask like what's the worst that somebody could say no and then you move on and then you try again in a year Mm -hmm. when you have a little bit more growth and a little bit more under your feet so we've been really the Silicon Slopes community has been awesome and really supportive that's great to hear Mm -hmm. yeah I have a couple questions Mm -hmm. yeah no go for it yeah just just going back to um your superpowers which is probably around marketing yeah um tell me a little bit Matt, about that passion and what you mm. are really great at and i know you're taking the stand back right now yeah and hopefully at some point you'll be back yeah <laughs> um, yes i hope so but uh, but yeah tell us i'd like to know so it's actually interesting because i studied something completely different in college i graduated with a degree in international cultural studies with an emphasis in peace building and then I minored in political science. Mm-hmm. So I was planning on do- going to law school, working for an NGO or conflict resolution for like a big company because mediation can be a lot cheaper than mm-hmm. legal, the legal route. Um, so that was what I was really intrigued with. And when we started this company, I kind of just started falling into the Instagram, the visuals, the um storytelling aspect of things and for a while I was like those things seem like I studied something so different (laughs) like Mm -hmm. what a what is the parallel and then probably two years ago I made the connection that what I studied um conflict resolution mediation all that stuff is connecting people's stories Mm -hmm. it's getting setting two people down who are in conflict and helping them tell their story so that the other person can relate to it and when you're talking about conflict on a large scale in countries or because of war, a lot of the same resolutions come from people understanding the story of the other person. And that's what intrigued me so much about what I studied is just the narratives and these stories of these people who'd come come through so much 
and connected with each other and learned that they had a lot more similarities. And so I think that's why I loved marketing was that it was this opportunity to create a community and connection over something that people all had a similar fondness over. And I just, I love that. I love the idea. I love the um, idea of being able to like create and tell something visually and using your words to, and to connect people. So that's, I think that's just why I gravitated towards that and why I loved it and why I still love it. And I could talk marketing with any number of business leaders forever because it's just so fun to think of ideas and um, what they're doing and what's working for them, what's not working, all of this, all the stuff. Yeah, I know. Thank you. And I'd love to make sure we cover culture of your organization and how that, but, but before we do that, um, and I wonder actually with your conflict resolution, whether that's helped those challenges with your own you know you had two spouses yeah. or yeah you, both of you had to build no business, probably not right? with my husband <laughs> all of it flies out the window when i'm in an argument with my husband all i want to do is win yeah. when i'm in an argument with him yeah forget his story yeah forget yeah. his story <laughs> my story is the story that matters i imagine you have learned a lot though yeah most we really couples have. at this point haven't learned those challenges yeah. um yeah just haven't they might be 10 years down the line 20 yeah. years down the line but you've I think a lot of that of... came from we just had we were spent so much time together early on usually like typically you get married and you go to your separate jobs you go mm-hmm. to your set you know but we were with each other every day 24 7 and that's changed now that there's kids involved and we have an office mm-hmm. and we aren't working out of our mm-hmm. bedroom you know but um yeah it like definitely teaches you a lot what is your number one lesson then or tip to other people like two friends going to business uh, which mm. was usually the case or a, a, you know husband and wife like you, like you have I think create the space for feedback like create a like routine of sitting down and meeting with each other and like giving each other feedback because when you don't do that and you don't create a culture of feedback between when it's just you two, but then as you grow, you want there to be a culture of feedback as well. Um, that's when things get really dangerous. That's when you start resenting and getting jealous, getting angry because they handled something differently than you'd handle. But if you set up from the beginning those weekly like, okay, we're going to meet every week Monday at 11 o'clock and we're going to talk about what you're doing, what I'm doing, what we're working on questions or concerns that we have with each other then there doesn't it doesn't leave time for things to like fester and grow and I think that that needs to be especially in the early days I think it's easy to just get yourself you like get in your little Mm. lane you stay in your lane you focus which is great you should also do that but sometimes you forget to like touch base and communicate with the other person yeah that's a really good point and last one I know I've got a few questions here I love it oh yeah as a a, a woman leader Mm -hmm. um what like uh, is there anything you want to talk about in, in relation to that um, for for our audiences about what how they can other female founders other female founders but also uh, tied in with that I'm interested to know what you've you've done other things right whether it's the foundation or you've helped with yeah. uh, other issues uh, in U- Utah yeah. at schools I don't know if you can touch on some of those things or but yeah anything that will help it yeah another female so founder. yeah. Whether you want to admit it or not, because I think sometimes it's hard. Sorry for the men in the audience. I think it's hard to admit something because sometimes you don't see it if the problem doesn't affect you. But um, there are huge discrepancies with how women are treated in business and throughout life in general. And they um, it creates a lot of setbacks. So one of the big issues that I've been passionate about this past year or so is period poverty, and that is something that, that affects women and girls of all ages until they're, you know, go through menopause. But there's some really sad statistics with like one in five girls missing school. At, I'm going to get these mixed up because I don't have them right on me. Like one in five and like seven out of ten at some point. There's the, the crazy numbers of girls who are missing out on their education because of the lack of access to period products. So girls from a young age are already set at a disadvantage because they could potentially be missing one week of school a month and their male peers would not be missing school at that rate. So 
crazy stuff there. And then other statistics like this back in, I just posted about this on my LinkedIn. So if you, and I, if you have questions about these numbers, reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'll get you this very specifics because I don't have them right on me. But, um, back, I think it was in 2018 or th- 2019 here in Utah alone, women made 70% of what men make for like the same career choice, career path, which is crazy. Um, Utah has been come in dead last the past four years when it comes to women's equality. So that's crazy. Women are leaving the workforce at like four to five times the rate of men. So, and COVID exasperated that. They were the ones that oftentimes in the relationship stepped back from their job and their career and their passion so that the husband could provide, which is fine. Like, I don't think that that's necessarily the men's, a man's fault. But there are just a lot of setbacks that women face. Another one being that, so I just, I'd known this, one of these statistics, but then I just read Melinda Gates' book, which is The Moment of Lift, which is a great read. But she um, elaborates on these statistics. So less than 3% of venture capitalists are female and less than like two, around 2% of venture capital dollars goes to women. So that is crazy too. And again, I don't think it's any fault to men specifically because I think you're going to invest in what you relate to. And oftentimes that might be the same gender. It might be the product that that gender is putting out, whatever. Um, But those are all statistics that need to change. And so as a female founder, that's something that I've become really passionate about is helping empower girls from a young age, making sure that they stay in school, making sure that they have access to the same opportunities that their male peers do from a young age, and then taking that into all these other statistics that need to be changed. Okay, how do we get more women in venture capital? How do we get more women feeling comfortable pitching their businesses? And how do we get more men advocating for women and seeing the potential of their business? Maybe it's not a tech company, but maybe it's a really good consumer goods product that has great margin. Um, Yeah, there's just a lot of barriers. So I feel very privileged. I haven't necessarily experienced. I've had very supportive men in my life. I've had, I've been very fortunate with the business that we've started with my husband together. Um, But either way, there are barriers. And I feel like as a woman in business, it's my responsibility to like help um, draw attention to these numbers and say Mm -hmm. these need to change. It's 2021. Like, this shouldn't be happening. 2022, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's 2022. These things shouldn't be happening still. Yeah. That's a really, I I love those points. And I I know you said um, men can't help it, but sometimes because they're just going to go to the person they relate to, actually, they can do a lot about it. Yeah, for sure they can. You know, we've just heard a really great talk from Chewy Chong at uh, Microsoft um, talking about data bias and go after the data that, Go after your the people that you never talk to, or yeah, the people totally. you, or, or the yeah. non-participants. Yeah. Uh, then you're going to find some talented people in yep. that group, or absolutely, talent, or, or, or very important voices yeah. to be heard. So totally. Where yeah. do you want to go next? Because I, I know there's culture and there's questions from the audience. Yeah. So we're going to have to get to questions yeah. of the audience. I do want to just say I think what I personally really resonate with, especially I think based off of what you said, and I think what a lot of us can do is going back to the way that you talked about storytelling. Yeah. You know, it's not. I think I'm really passionate about this as well because it's not just about, you know, you're not telling your story. I think there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a certain responsibility that we have to be able to solicit and, and grab and discover the stories of others, mm. you know? And yeah, I think I love that. For, for people who are marketers, like who are trained storytellers, who are good at it, know what to look for. Mm. I think a lot of times, you know, we can, we can use those same questions and those same skills to be able to ask other people those same questions and be able to discover their stories. Like, yeah. I, I think that that's a big thing that we can all do a little bit better um, because if you ask the right questions, you're discovering the right stories, it's going to be easier for everybody to to connect to those stories, yeah, you know? totally. Um, and I think that goes all the way back to even the origin story, you know, as I think there's something that you did so well with that origin story and that the problem is just so relatable that a rubber band can fix it. But beyond that, it became a brand and became something that scaled for years and years and Became, you know, this this just I think a brand that I look up to and I think is really really cool, you know. Oh, so thank you. yeah, um, but I do think we should get to audience questions. I think so. Um, and then maybe a couple rapid fires as we wrap up. But yeah. you know, yeah, I don't know. Does anybody have any questions out in the audience? Don't be shy. Yeah. yeah. 
So one thing you mentioned is that when you and your husband were starting to build your company, that you had mostly positive support, but you had a little bit of opposition. You said it was from your father. Um, I think a lot of times when we are trying something new, it's easy to block out the voices that are positive and just focus on the one or two that are negative, especially if it's somebody very influential in your life like that. And so how did you and your husband kind of overcome those doubts and that pressure that might have been coming from your family as you were building your brand? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Well, first off, you'd have to know my personality is that I don't like being told to do anything. So and my husband's the same way. So hearing like my dad is amazing and he's probably like our biggest fan now, but he is so traditional in his thinking. You go to school, you get your degree, you go get a job, you work nine to five, the wife stays at home, like wonderful people, but very, very, very traditional. And I'm his only daughter and we were newlyweds and he'd come home every day from work, his financial advising career and see my husband just like keep pressing wallets or like cutting up paper to like sublimate. And it, I think in my dad's eye was like, what like this is a joke like there's no way you're gonna be able to provide for your family with this and he told my husband when my husband Colby asked for my hand in marriage my dad said if you like ever hurt her I will kill you and my dad's a hunter like he'd put his money where his mouth is on that one and so my husband was very intimidated but I think my dad started seeing how hard we worked and my husband and I were kind of like we're not gonna let that get to us because again if all else fails we like we're really not out much like we can eat cereal for breakfast lunch and dinner we don't have kids we don't have the mortgage all those things I mentioned earlier so we just kind of like we're gonna do it anyway and um I think there's a level when you're starting your own company that you definitely need to you have to be balanced because if enough people are telling you it's a crappy idea and it's not gonna work a lot of times they might be right. Like you need to listen to the feedback of others, but you need to listen to be like the right feedback from the right people. And um, other times you need to let that fuel you to like just push forward. And that's kind of what we did is just, nah, we're going to do it anyway. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, we'll figure it out. And it worked. And my dad continually is like, what are you guys like? You did what in revenue? Like you did what? Like, He's continually blown away, and I think that he's proud that we did just continue with it, despite his pushback. That's a great answer. Can I ask uh, just a follow-up to that? Like, between, so you and your husband, were there ever moments where one of you was like, well, no, I think we're going to carry on this way. We're going to keep doing this. Like, I believe in this so much, but the other one was like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. With Thread specifically, I mean, we've had, like, other little things, like, I don't know, like, for our personal life. But with Thread, I like we've both just been pretty on board from the get-go. Like I have always known that I wanted to do something with my husband. I saw my parents' traditional lifestyle, mom at home, dad at work, didn't have much in common, didn't interact much, honestly. And they're still happily married. They're a great support to each other, but their marriage is just so different than what I would want for mine. And so I was like, I want to be working with my spouse. I want to do something with him. I want to spend time with him. So when we had this idea and we were spending time taking pictures together and sewing the product and going to networking events together, all these things, it was like, this is what I've always wanted. So I didn't ever feel like any pushback. And he was kind of, he's always been entrepreneurial and always wanted to go find his own um, gold mine instead of being handed it. And so he, we were both pretty much always on board there's been certain like products or things like that that one of us will be like no that won't work or you know that we push back on but overall we've both been like very on board with what's happening no that's cool yeah probably pretty rare too which is very interesting but like yeah i I just i think i'm just so aligned i think that's that's cool um are there any other questions from anybody else yeah yeah, so obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. And you know, you've learned so much going through it now. But you know, if you were like ground zero today, I had to start another brand from scratch. Yeah. Like everything that you learned, like what would you do differently or the same or how would you do it? Do you know what's funny is that we did start another brand from scratch like last year? I can't even remember what it was. We had um like all of our Google Analytics said that our customers were pet lovers. 
anyone who saw our lanyards online were all, like our ads were like there was always comments like you guys should make leashes you guys should make dog collars you guys mm. should do this so we were like why not give the people what we want like literally one of the top three interests and like categories of interest on our google analytics of our customers is like pet and dog so we were like this is a no-brainer like we used the same factories that did our leashes or our lanyards it was like really pretty easy plug and play we used the same designs because then they could be matching and it like totally flopped. Um, but it was a different mindset because if Colby and I had and our team had been starting, we called it Kano, um, from scratch, it would have been our full attention. But it was like we didn't put the time and effort into it that we should have. But it's hard. That's I guess what I'm getting at is that starting something today is really hard and you need to put your time and energy and effort into it. Like you can't just throw something on Instagram nowadays and hope that it will catch traction. Like it, you have to be hustling and like putting in the effort. Um, I believe your question, you kind of asked like what we would tell someone to do or like what would we change or do differently? Um, with Thread, going back to the start, there are two things that we would for sure do differently. And we have a friend right now that has a very successful company. He was just on Shark Tank. And I will, mm -hmm. if he hears this, I'll, I will call him out personally. He will not get his fulfillment out of his own damn warehouse. Like, he does all his own fulfillment still. And I'm like, you need to get this out. Like, we held on to fulfillment for two years. And it held our growth back significantly. Because it was, our philosophy is you should be putting your time where you are the best. So if you're the best at marketing, if you're the best at operations, if you're the best at design, your time should be spent there, not shipping orders or working on customer service. Obviously, at the get-go, you're going to have to wear a lot of different hats, and we still wear a lot of different hats. But as soon as you can farm that out to somebody else, do it. And we held on because I'm a control freak um, and had a lot of anxieties at the beginning. We held on for far too long, and that slowed our growth down. So that is one, outsource your fulfillment and outsource the things that you don't want to be the best at. And then um, outsource production. We produced the wallets ourselves for about two years. And that slowed us down significantly. So rely on other people to help you grow. Like you can't do it yourself. And I think when you're starting something mm -hmm. and you want to be the founder and you want to be like the hero of the story, it's really um, – and you hear like the glorified stories on how I built this or mm -hmm. of the Instagram founders where they were eating ramen every single day and they stayed up – and worked from, you know, five in the morning till three at night. And like, that's not healthy and it's not sustainable. So f if you can like f get stuff off of your plate so that you can focus on what you will bring the most value to the business. I love that. Yeah, it's good. Any other questions? I'm just looking at you guys now. <laughs> <laughs> what I thought would be kind of cool though is yeah. cause this is the first time that we've ever done this live one. Right. And you know, we're, we're, we're experimenting, we're trying something out. It'd be cool to find out, you know, where at Kiln, like what company, who you, who you guys are. I mean, we got four people here for this inaugural one. Who are you guys and what companies do you work for? Do you mind sharing that? Is that cool? Or if you don't feel comfortable, that's okay too. Talk to Mike. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I'm Jared. I work for the Academy for Creating Enterprise. Probably never heard of it. Uh, nonprofit. We do like entrepreneurship training in developing countries. So cool. we were actually at an event with Carry On Foundation a couple months ago. The yes. Juros were changed. Yep. Cool. Yep. We were jealous of how cool your guys' booth was. So it was oh, a lot well, they threw that together. <laughs> so, yep. That's me. Yeah, thank that's you very awesome. much. Appreciate it. And thanks for coming. Yeah. Um, I work for Eve Financial. We are like in the fintech industry to provide financing to businesses in the services industries so that their clients can provide the, the money that they need for the services that they're looking to buy. Cool. So. You guys? No? You good? All right. Well, thank you guys uh, for showing up. Uh, any last questions then, Spencer? I know you wanted to ask about culture. Well, I, you know, you talked about um, some of your passions, some of the things yeah. that are really important to you. It sounds like you clearly, as a co-founder, you should be easy. It's easy enough to choose to have the freedom yeah. to go and explore those and do something about it. T tell us a little bit about what you think is unique or is unique about your culture. Because I know that, you know, self-expression, freedom, was there another one? 
can't remember now, but it's important to your culture. I know you've got yeah. a skate park there or, yeah. or a half pipe. Or, uh, tell us about what's really unique and what you're trying to build mm. that's unique about it. I mean, or, or how do you give freedom to your own, um, your own people? Um, yeah, those are really good questions. We have tried really hard to create a good company culture. Um, like we recognize that as a growing company and we're still kind of in that startup phase, we can't always pay the most competitive salary. So we really try to make sure that the workplace is one that they love and they love being part of the team and they feel valued and appreciated. Um, if anyone has questions about company culture, I would highly recommend reading the book No Rules Rules by mm -hmm. Reed Hastings. Fabulous book. Um, and we try to structure a lot of what we do um, off of what Netflix has done. So taking bits and pieces from their rule book, their playbook, which um, include like unlimited paid time off. So any of our employees at any time can like if it's a powder day, you better be on the mountain mm -hmm. and all those things. And we really, really try to live that like Reed Hastings in his book talks about how if you have that as a rule the leaders have to take advantage of it too. Like you can't be in the office slaving away every single day and never take time off because your employees will take that as like what the precedent is. So, I mean, if legitimately, if it's a powder day, like you better be skiing. And my husband and I, we're going to Hawaii for three weeks in March and we've rented out a condo for our employees to all take different weeks at. So they've signed up for different weeks there. So just always trying to provide like opportunities for our team to feel that we care about them and their mental health and their work-life balance. The skate ramp is like a symbol to our team about freedom. So our core values at Thread are creativity, humility, integrity, entrepreneurship, and freedom. So really we try to live by those every day, celebrating their creativity, allowing them to pursue different ideas that they have for the brand or personally um, we give out like quarterly stipends for what we call our carry on program. So that helps them fulfill their goals for mm. the year. So if it's fitness, if it's growing a garden, whatever it is, they get a stipend every quarter to help them accomplish their goals. And then we have quarterly meetings where everyone comes in and recaps what they've been working on and, um, those are things that should be external, not anything related to work. But it's been really cool to see our, like, last year, we did have an employee grow an incredible garden. We had employees, like, set goals of working out 30 minutes every day and mm -hmm. accomplishing goals, things that you wouldn't maybe stick to normally, but giving them the incentive and the push and the camaraderie to, like, yeah, you got this. Um, we do, like, quarterly book clubs. We really just try to make the work environment one where people feel loved and appreciated and accepted mm. it's really cheesy but as if your employees feel appreciated and valued they're going to want to stay yeah yeah that's so it sounds like a great place to work uh, mm. practically i know we've only got three minutes practically <clears throat> how do you how how have you seen that work so powder day comes up yeah you still got to get your job done yeah like especially maybe the most yeah. important things that need yeah. to be done i mean how is it prioritization how yeah you... prioritization and making sure like Something we stress is that make sure the decisions you make are in the best interest of the company and that they don't, your decisions don't affect somebody else's ability to get their job done. So if you want to take the powder day, but you haven't gotten, met that deadline, mm -hmm. met that deadline that you promised your team you would meet, then that's going to be up to you to make that decision. And if you don't, then in our one-on-ones with your manager and your directors and your direct reports, like you're going to have to answer to that. Um, and a lot of times it is people will go and they'll just take half day and then they come in for the rest of the day or they go home and work at night or they might come in on a Saturday for a few hours, whatever it is. Um, but so far it's worked pretty well. Like we've given our company the autonomy, our employees and our team members, the autonomy to make the decisions for their, their perspective lane, I think makes them feel empowered and in control of what they're doing. And setting that precedent from the beginning is really important because then they will live up to it. Whereas you don't, you know, you don't give them autonomy and you don't act like you trust them, then they're not going to feel that and there's mm -hmm. going to be yeah. residual effects. So really it is just saying you can take the time off, but your work still has to get done. Yeah. That's good. So just let me so close it out with one last question, which is just if, so going back to where we kind of started, um, 
what does it take to change, you know, create something that never existed before? Yeah. You know, if you were to just kind of summarize your thoughts there, I think is, and we'll close it out with, you know, yeah, just a big thank you. But. Yeah. Um, to create something that's never existed. This is an analogy we use a lot that you don't have to hit a home run to get around the bases. And I think a lot of times, especially here in Utah right now, you hear about these crazy valuations, these crazy fundraising rounds, and it can be so easy to compare what you're doing to what somebody else is doing. But if you just say, you know what, I, I don't have to swing for the fences. I don't have to shoot for the stars right now. I can just get on first base, make keep things simple, keep things like really lean, and then I'll get around to the next base. And then I'll keep, you know, I'll eventually get home. Um, that's still a point on the board. And I think that a lot of times people will overcomplicate things. They try to make it too big too quick. And um, it's that's dangerous. So I think if you want to create something from nothing and drive change, you've got to just keep it simple and um, just focus on like getting that first to the first base. You'll have your home runs, but everything that you do doesn't have to be a home run. Yeah. Fantastic. Love it. Love it. I think, uh, yeah, just thank you so much for, for joining us, Mackenzie. And yeah, uh, thank you guys. I think this was a home run, hopefully. But we're, <laughs> I'm holding two microphones, so I don't know. We're, we're close to a home run. The guest was well, a home yeah, run. Yeah, but... thank you for our live audience. Yeah. Um, we do, we have another live session coming up in April. April. Um, we'll have other episodes being released soon from Ryan Smith, from um, Paul Tricks, and a few others. Um, but it's, uh, who is our guest? It's, um, forgotten the name now from she place follow us on uh at, at jackie, the, you said uh, it jackie. Yeah. jackie zena thank you i got you jackie zena from she place so that's yeah. going to be in april cool thank you very much yeah thank, thank you guys you. this is a pleasure all right